reason they say, woo, is because that's what they do at Covenant Love. Every time Pastor Al says, turn to the word, the, the congregation hollers and screams and, and goes wild. All right, so, hey, love the Bible. If you get there, say, oh, yeah. Luke chapter 9. If you're not there, say, oh, no. We're going to wait for you people. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Awesome. Put your mark in there. We'll get there in a few minutes. Here we go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Uh, God, thank you that your presence is just so real and so right and so good. Lord, we just absolutely love you. Lord, we just pray, God, that your anointing will, God, just settle on this place today. God, settle on us as we speak. Settle on every person as they hear. Father, in fact, you said, uh, let him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And, God, we recognize today that you weren't talking about the things that are flopping on the side of our head, Lord. You were talking about uh, spiritual ears. And so, Lord, today we tune our ears in to hear your voice. And we just ask in Jesus' name that you would speak to us. Holy Ghost, come and do what only you can do and bring life change. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to we're going to continue. In fact, you know, uh, with these guys here, we're just going to keep running where we're running. They're going to hop in with me. But we're going to continue our series that we've been on. This is part four. It's called Seven Decisions. Seven Decisions. Remember, when we're talking about uh, these seven decisions, we're really talking about seven biblical principles that God wants us to make up our minds on. In other words, it's kind of like this. He just doesn't want us to know about them. He wants us to actually begin to apply these decisions to our daily lives. Amen. In other words, he wants us to live it. Let me maybe even go this route to help you guys out. How, how many of you guys uh, know that there's things in your life that you know about the Bible, but you don't really live it daily? Amen. So here, that's kind of what we're talking about, that there's things, treasures that we find in the word of God that we know, man, I really need to apply that. In fact, it, I'm still amazed by how many times I read the Bible. I, every time I go back, I'm still finding new stuff there. Yes. And so anyways, but there's things that God wants us to apply and get in us and live out those things. So here's the three decisions that we've already talked about. Once again, they're just uh, biblical principles that are worded maybe a little different. The first one was this. It was the buck stops here. Somebody said the buck stops here. This is where we made the decision to no longer blame or point fingers at others for our current position in life. Uh, the reason this is important is because if we keep blaming others by saying it's their fault, how will we ever take responsibility of our future? Amen. It's, it's impossible. How will we ever, if I'm always saying this Kyle's fault for what he did to me 35 years ago, how will I ever take responsibility for my future and for the things that God has called me to be a good steward of? Amen. The second decision we talked about was this. We said that we'll be people of, uh, we'll be people that seek wisdom. Somebody say wisdom. See, this is where you and I made the decision to lean into God, key word here, through relationship, so that we can receive from His insight, His brilliant mind, His wisdom on every situation we will ever face. Because we are uh, definitely live a life that we're not going to wake up every day and know exactly what to do. We need to go to Him and say, God, I need your help today. I need you to speak to me. Amen? So the third uh, the third decision that we talked about was this, that we would be a people of action. And this is where we made the decision to no longer wait for somebody else to do something. In other words, we recognize that we are not seeing what we're seeing and hearing what we're hearing for no reason. Actually, God is allowing us to see it. God is actually allowing us to hear it because it's in those moments he's doing what? He's providing an opportunity and it's just up to us to act. Yes. So it's, listen, it's in those moments instead of doing nothing, we decide to do something because we recognize the spirit of the Lord lives inside of me, right? And where I go, he goes. In fact, there's a promise that I personally cling to is out of Joshua. It says this, that every place that the sole of my feet touch is his. Amen. So when you're walking through the city next time, remember that. Claim it for the king. Amen. 
All right, so now for today, I want to start our fourth decision off uh, by giving you a few questions. Maybe um, a better way of saying it was maybe kind of questions kind of wrapped around scenarios, all right? So we're going to start with the lighthearted one at first. How many of you guys have ever been in a situation where you're with a group of people, and this key part, and as a group, you were trying to decide somewhere to go eat? How many of you guys know that's like one of the most difficult things in the world, right? But it kind of goes like this. Uh, come, here, come here, Austin. It kind of goes like this. Um, Austin goes, let's go here. There's someone in the group that looks like Sam. Sam says, well, I don't know if I want to go there. Right? So another person wanting to be helpful like Noah says, okay, then, uh, I'll tell you what, th- then let's go this other place instead. Anybody know what happens next? The same guy saying, I don't want to go in there, does this again. He goes, okay, um, I don't think I want to go there either. So watch this. So as a group, everybody turns and looks at Sam because Sam's on vacation. And we all, and we all, and we all look at Sam and, and, and we go, well, Sam, wh- where would you like to go? I don't know. And then you watch this. Here's the here's my favorite part. I don't know. You guys decide. Has anybody ever met that person in your group? Help me, Jesus. Right? You guys sit down. All right. So watch this. Let's stay up here because I'm picking on you. Okay? You, you didn't want to be involved, but I'm getting you involved. Here we go. All right. He's on vacation. All right, here we go. So, listener, how about this one? How many of you guys have ever been around that person that when they really, really, really need to make a decision, uh, they come to you and they ask your opinion, right? So Sam, to me, Sam comes to me and says, you know, PQ, what's, what's your opinion on this? And, and then, what they do, then what he does after that, then he goes to Kyle and goes, Kyle, uh, what's your opinion about it? And then he goes to Jen and he goes, Jen, what, what's your opinion about it? And they go, what do you think? Should, should I go forward? Should, should I go backwards? And then he goes over to Austin and says, you know, Austin, I really need, should I go left or should I go right? And then he goes, looks at Noah and he goes, maybe I should, maybe I should go up. No, no, maybe I should go down. And then he runs over there to Cameron, right? And he goes, and he goes, Cameron, I, I really need to know, man, is this orange? Is it orange or is it green? And then he looks at Sam and goes, no, no, it's really black, isn't it? It's, it's black, right? Then watch this. Here's what I love about these people. These people do this. Then they they not only ask all these people, but then they come over here to Dr. Ben. They go, Dr. Ben, you you, you know, that guy over there, you see him, that guy named Cameron right there. He told me this. What do you think about what he told me? Have you guys ever been around those people? And And it's like this. It's like they live in this constant state of analysis. Right. And it's like when the smoke settles, wherever they went, they went nowhere. They haven't made a decision. In a few months, here's what happens. Literally, they go nowhere. In a few months, the cycle just repeats itself. They run, they run back to me. They run back to Kyle. They run back to Jen. They run back to Austin, back to Noah. They run right back to Cameron, back to Josh. And then they go, Dr. Ben, Dr. Ben, what do you think? And the cycle repeats itself again and again and again. Anybody know somebody like that? Don't point to your neighbor. All right, here we go. Last one. How many of you guys, and, 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 and these fellows are so going to track with me on this one because they're going to know who I'm talking about. Um, how many of you guys know someone that has emphatically said, I'm going to go there and I'm going to be this? Watch this. I mean, this person sounds serious. They sound confident. They sound courageous. In fact, they've done their homework and they know exactly what they're talking about. In fact, we'll go so far to say this. They say, they say God told me to go there and God told me to be this and I'm just going to step out on faith and I'm going to obey. Sounds good, right? I mean, they, they sound so convincing, and they'll tell you, they sound so convincing, it's hard not to believe them. But what happens? You run into them six months to a year later, and for some odd reason, nothing's changed. 
They haven't went anywhere. They haven't become anything. And when you do a little probing, you find out, and this is the kicker for me, you find out that they've already moved on. Why? Because God is now saying that they're supposed to go over here instead and do this. It's completely opposite direction everything they ran their mouth about six months ago. Can I get a whale? Let's look at it from another angle. Have you ever known someone who is absolutely sure that God has led them down a certain path? The key word here is until. Until it gets tough or until they get bored. I'm telling you, as Christians, we, sh- we suffer from being bored more than probably anything. And, and, and part of the reason why is this, is because we're so busy staring at these things and staring at that TV and all this interaction, Facebook, that i got to know when somebody went to the bathroom or the grocery store or, you, you know, everybody, you know, they have, a, they have a, uh, an emotion and a hot flash hit them and they got to tell somebody. And I'm on there tracking their daily life like it matters, right? Right? But what happens is because I'm so busy staring at all this, I've never learned just to sit back and wait on the Lord and get clear direction. And I don't know how to get quiet with the Lord and, get, and go, okay, God, what are you saying? Are, are you all following me today? Somebody say, preach, preacher. Preach, preach. Anyway, sorry, I'm having fun. All right, here we go. So here's the thing. They hang in there until it gets tough. They hang in there until it gets bored. And watch this. And then they're just as sure, just as sure, just as positive that God is now leading them once again in the opposite direction. I have a quick question for you. This is powerful, super theological. Okay, is God schizophrenic? Some Christians are, but he's not. Amen. All right. So is that too mean? No, good, good. Of course not. All right. Here we go. All right, so listen, I, I don't know about you, but, but I can't help but to wonder when I get around and, and listen, 20 years of ministry, I've been around people in all those categories, okay? And obviously the one about going to get something to eat was pretty lighthearted. But, but I've definitely spent plenty of time with other people, especially in the age group that I used to work with, with uh, college and career age. Um, you know, so many of those guys are, I mean, they're like in a ping ball machine and saying, God said, uh, I'm supposed to marry her. Three weeks later, they're marrying her. And, and anyways, God bless. But... But, you know, I can't help but to wonder, why do those kinds of people fail at so many things that they try to do? Why do they keep circling the same mountain in life? Why is there no forward movement? Why is their life marked? Get this. Why is their life marked by idleness? Can you hear me? Why is it? In other words, why, why is it like they're not going anywhere? So a few questions. Is it because that they've been dealt a worse hand in life than the rest of us? No. Is it because they ran into a stronger giant that they have to face that none of us have to? No. Is it because the devil attacks them more? No. They think so, but no. Listen, is it because they, they face greater tribulation, greater persecution than the rest of us? Absolutely not. Do they possess a lower level of intelligence, skill, or ability? No. Watch this. Please don't miss this point. I've come to realize over the years that it has nothing to do with any of that, and that's God-honest truth. In fact, I personally believe that some succeed and some fail because some have and some don't have this, a decided heart. Very simple. They don't have a decided heart, a decided heart. If I can, if you can maybe add something in your notes and just read it later, go read Mark 4, the parable of the sower, and you'll find the difference between people who have a decided heart and people who do not. Okay, I don't have time to go there today, but Mark 4, put it in your notes, okay? Some have... That's why they succeed. Some don't. That's why they fail. 
a decided heart. The word decided means this. It's kind of wordy, but hang in there with me. It means to make up one's mind or to reach a decision. Here's the part that I really like. Decide means this, to end a contest or dispute by giving one side victory. Are you all with me today? Yes, no, half of you, part of you, not sure? To end a contest or dispute by giving one side victory. Let me maybe help you out there. Um, Here's the way I see this. I'm sitting in my daily life because all of us live there. There's no one with a, with a uh, superhero anointing on their life that they get to not face things everybody else faces, okay? Uh, we're all real people. We all have to be at the foot of the cross. We all need Jesus, right? And, and so, you know, when I say this in part, uh, to end a contest or dispute by giving one side victory, it's really this. Paul said that the flesh and the spirit are contrary. And the question is, is which one am I going to... Uh, bring an end to so the other one can have victory. Right? Am I going to live according to my flesh or am I going to live according to the Spirit, according to the Word? That's the difference that we're talking about here. That's where the decided heart is. That's where we waver back and forth every day. Are y'all with me? Y'all are getting quiet up in here. All right? We was talking about going and getting a dinner. Y'all was all laughing. We were getting real... Listen, the word decide also implies this. It means to end the wavering between different opinions. To end doubt, to end a dispute by making up one's mind as to which action or course to take, which brings about a firmness or resolve to carry through. Watch this. A while ago, Sam was run to me, run to Kyle. Run to Austin, run to Noah, run to Jen, run to these two guys, run it back there. That, that, that is the kind of person that has a, an undecided heart. And the thing is, is because they've never sought God and found their own purpose in Him, they're looking for a purpose from somebody else. And that's how we become imitations and not originals. Are y'all following me? So the, the thing is, is listen, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 29:11. half of us in the room can quote it, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It's personal. Right. So so if he has plans for me, in fact, we talked about this Wednesday night briefly with the, with the teenagers. But but the part there at the end, at verse 13, it says you will seek and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's the disconnect between finding the plans God has for our lives and us wondering is that am I seeking him with all of my heart to get a hold of those plans? In other words, to get my to my ear and to hear it. Are you all with me today? Yes. So, so listen, just like I told them the other night, in my opinion, outside of salvation and heaven, there's no greater promise in the Bible. You will seek and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He is guaranteeing us that if we seek him through the word, if we seek him in prayer, if we seek him in worship, we will find him. Amen. But watch this. Just as much as that is a guarantee for us, flip the side that if we don't seek him, we're not going to find him. And we're not going to know his plan and we're going to wonder and our lives are going to be marked with idleness. Truth. Amen. Amen. All right. Somebody say decided heart. All right. So our fourth decision, we've already said a few times, but the fourth decision I believe God wants us to make up our minds on is that he wants us to have a decided heart. You can you can uh, you can take that word decided and take it out there and put the word committed in there if you want to. He wants us to have a decider. He wants us to have a committed heart. Now, most of us in here have read the Bible. And I think when we read the Bible, 
especially the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see many people that Jesus interacted with. Some people had undecided hearts. Some people had decided hearts. And I want to take you to a passage today uh, that shows both of those. Okay? So are you there in Luke 9? Luke 9. Look at verse 57. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation just because it's a a little more uh, easier to understand. Luke 9, 57. Here we go. It says, as they, talking about Jesus and the twelve disciples, okay, as they were walking along, someone comes running up to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Right? God hollers out, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? From, from face value, man, this guy looks serious. He, man, I mean, he looks committed. Yes? Yeah, he looks seriously committed. But Jesus turns and looks him in the eye and Jesus sees something different than commitment. Because what happens is he sees the man's heart and Jesus replies this in verse 58. He says, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the son of man, that's a that's a title that he's given as far as his deity as as being uh, being God in the flesh. But the son of man has no place even to lay his head. So when the guy says, I'll follow you wherever you go, and Jesus turns and looks him in the eye, what was Jesus seeing? Jesus was seeing that this man's love for security was greater than his commitment to follow. Y'all follow me. There's security for, for secure, safe. I have a house over my head. I have, I have a hot meal every night. I have the paycheck coming. I have all these things. His security, basically, he loved all of that more than his commitment to say, Jesus, I'll really go wherever you want me to go. Amen? And I want you to notice something today, and this is kind of maybe assuming, and maybe I shouldn't do this, but it appears by reading between the lines that that man backed up at that moment. And that he didn't go any further. And then it says in verse 59, it says, basically, Jesus turns and said to another person, he said, you come follow me. It says the man agreed once again out front. It looked like there was commitment. It says, but he said, Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus once again looked him in the eye and told him this. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. And then he says this powerful statement. I hope you don't miss it today. Your duty. Somebody say he's talking to you. Your duty is to go and preach the kingdom of God. You'll hear me today. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead, but your duty is to go and to preach the kingdom of God. So was Jesus being insensitive? No, there's nobody that has a greater level of compassion and mercy than him. Okay? What happened was, is he realized when he looked this man in the eye, is that, that he loved his inheritance more than his commitments. Let me explain that one to you. He loved his inheritance more than his commitment. When we, when we take, when we stop and actually study out the scripture, what's happening here in this passage, this man, it's assumed basically by, uh, by just people way smarter than me, that this guy was the oldest son. And the reason he wanted to go bury his father is because in the Jewish culture, if you were the oldest son, let's say if we were all three brothers here, real brothers, right? Not brothers from another mother, but three three. Three brothers that basically if I was the oldest because I am a month older than him, right, that 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 if uh, if dad dies, right, then I get the watch this, not just the inheritance, but I get a double portion of the inheritance. But what happens is, is this guy realized that if he left and he went to go preach the kingdom of God, then that inheritance, that double portion now goes to the second son. So what he realized was, is he said pretty much this. Jesus, I will follow you after my dad dies and after I receive the inheritance, the money, the possessions, all the things that I want. 
Right? Then I'll do it. But, but are y'all following me? But Jesus looked at him and realized they loved money, he loved inheritance, he loved possessions more than he loved his commitment to follow him. Are y'all with me today? And then it says in verse 61, another one said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. But first, there's always that but. Amen. And I'm kind of hoping today if you've got a button here, right, then you'll surrender that but today. All right. Anyway, so another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. Now, what was this guy's hang up? Pretty simple. He loved his relationships more than he loved his commitment to God, his commitment to follow and watch this. I believe Jesus turned around and didn't just talk to this guy. I believe he actually talked to the crowd because of what we're about to read. But he aimed it in his direction and he said this. He said, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back. Somebody say looks back. Looks back. It says what? Is not fit for the kingdom of God. What a powerful verse, huh? Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. For years, I, um, because I didn't study that scripture, I always looked at that and I would use it when I was talking to people, you know, because we're from Alabama. So, you know, a lot of people think they're saved that, you know, they don't have a clue about who God is. But they went to church when they were, you know, three, whatever, you know, they went to Easter, Easter service. So they think they're really good with God. Right. And so I used to think that this verse was talking about being backslidden. And until this when when. Um, one night, one early morning, however you want to word it, you know that spot where you're, where you're in between sleep and in between being awake? That, most of the time, that's when God talks to me. And the reason is because my mind is not running over him, right? Because I think way too much. But anyways, I, and I had a dream, and it was really simple. It's a buddy that, that actually we both know. His name's Lance. Lance has probably never prophesied a day in his life, right? Okay. But in my dream, Lance stepped up to me in my face like that. And he said this, the Lord would say, if you put your hand to the plow and don't look back, he will put his favor on you. And I woke up and I but I woke up one of those things I knew it was Jesus talking. And but but it didn't match my interpretation of the scripture. I was thinking, is God telling me I'm backslidden? I was like, I don't think I'm backslidden. So I remember, I, you know, I, I drove to work. I had like a 15-minute drive to work. And it was just messing with me. So I, I had to go turn to that, that scripture. And as I began to look and study what scripture means, here's what I found out. It actually says this when it says that anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back. Here's what the word looks back means in the Greek language. It, it describes a man who is engaged in labor or work, Right. Instead of keeping his eye on what he is doing, he looks behind him at an object that attracts his interest, causing him to lose focus. That we're, we're, you know, we're diving in, God, I want you, and then we, and we get distracted. Yes? See, it correlates in Hebrews, if you go look at Hebrews 12, and maybe it's 11, it's 11. It's 11 and 12. It's in both chapters. And, and it talks about that basically that Abraham looked away. Right? And then in and then chapter 12, it talks about looking into the author and the finisher of your faith. It actually, in the, in the Greek language, that means to look away from, to see. So there's things, that, in other words, all those things that would try to distract us in this life, we have to look away from them so we can see Jesus. 
that's why we turn off the phone, the computer, and all those things, right? So we can see him, okay? And, and, so, and so here it is. He's saying, look, because these guys, because they, they, they engaged, they were looking his way, but then they started looking back, and something began to catch their attention. It began to uh, something that was attractive to them, and it caused them to lose their focus. Now, what does it say about those people? What's Jesus saying? He says, the people that do that, he says they're not fit for the kingdom of God. What that means, it doesn't mean that, that no, somehow now they're disqualified from heaven. What that means is, is that they are not well suited and they are not ready for maximum use in the kingdom. Does that make sense? Let, let, me, let me maybe describe it to you like this. Um, you, you know, Josh's dad is 26 years special forces. Awesome dude. Great, 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 awesome man. Guy's got three bronze stars. Great soldier, okay? When, when, when he went through, you know, the military's changed a lot. And some of you guys that were in it back in the day, you can attest to this. But, but his dad uh, basically had to go through training, right? When he showed up out there in Aberdeen, right, where, where SF is at, where Fort McCall, okay, Camp McCall, showed out there and went through the training process of tests and trials and all these things they put you through, there's like, I don't know, it's like uh, 20% of the guys make it through. So where we lived at in North Carolina, the home of Special Forces, home of Delta Force, home of JSOC, that's Joint uh, Special Operations Command. So, so these guys are bad dudes, all right? And they go through a series of tests and tests and tests. What they do is they weed them out so they can get the best soldiers that they can get. Right? Are y'all following me? Yes. So in essence, what Jesus is trying to do here, he's trying to find the special forces. He's not kicking them out of the army. He's just trying to find the elite. The, those that are there for maximum use. He can put his favor and his anointing and, and he can entrust with his power. Because if you don't have a decided heart, he'll never trust you with his power. Amen? So, so here it is. He says once again, uh, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Watch this. When, when, we, when we read the Bible, so often we have our portions of Scripture we read, and then we just kind of skip something else. Right? But, but notice that when, when um, Luke, who we know was a physician, he wrote the book of Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, and he wrote the Theophilus, wrote it actually to an individual. When he was writing this letter... He didn't go, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, here's chapter 3, <laughs> right? He just wrote a letter. And so, so when Theophilus was reading this, he didn't stop at, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. He, he continued, look at chapter 10, verse 1. He continued on. It says this. What's the first two words? After these things. What's the after these things? It's after the weeding out process. Right. Once again, you, you, you know, once again, you love your security, you love your inheritance, you love your relationships more. All those people backed up, went away. Jesus turned to the ones that remained and said, these people have a decided heart. And he says this says after these things, the Lord appointed the word appointed actually means he chose the Lord chose 70 others. So that's why we know there was a crowd there. And, uh, and it says, and he sent them two by two before his face. I don't want you to miss this, okay? He sent them two by two before his face. The, the, when, we look at the, when we look at Scripture, the word face, basically in biblical language, represents God's glory. So he's saying basically that he chose them, right? And he sent them out to go before his glory. 
Are you all following me? In other words, it's like this. Uh, let me kind of give you maybe a, a biblical character that, that you can go, okay, I get it. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Right? John said, I go and what? Prepare the way. Why? Because the glory of God is coming. That's why when you understand that when, you're, when you have a decided heart and you go to work, guess what's coming behind you? The glory. Amen. When you when you go to when you go to as we say down the south the WalMarts, those old ladies the Wal I'm going down the WalMarts. When you go down the WalMarts, you're not going alone. The glory is coming with you. Why? Because you have a decided heart, and He chose you. He appointed you. Amen. Amen. All right. So today, what we're going to do, um, we're going to transition here a little bit. Um, we want to share with you four characteristics of a decided heart, four characteristics of a decided heart. And I want you to and I want you to think like this today. OK, I, I'm not coming from the approach of saying this is what you don't have. I'm saying this is what you do have. I'm trying to remind you who you are and your role in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. So today you're good. You can come on up. Our, our first our first uh, thing we're going to talk about, a person with decided heart knows this. Number one, they know how to take a note. So number one, they know how to count the cost. Awesome. Somebody say count. Somebody say the cost. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 14, verse 28. You can say what, what when you're there. That's, that's my phrase that I use. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says this, but don't begin until you count the cost. Somebody say count. Somebody say the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. <laughs> Woo! Verse 33, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Wow, what a heavy verse, right? What a heavy verse. I believe that one of the main principles that Jesus is trying to teach us from this portion of Scripture is that the call of God, the destiny of God, the purpose of God for our lives always, always comes at a cost. It always comes at a cost. You see, because there's something uh, about an item that's free that doesn't really hold value. You know what I'm saying? You you know, if you go to Walmart and and they say, there's this amazing sale and it's free, you go, that's probably going to fall apart in like three weeks. You know what I'm saying? You know, but you know, man, that when I'm dropping some money to go and buy this object, that it's valuable and and it's going to last. Right? So Jesus was saying, man, is that I want the call and the purpose of God on your life to be something that's last, something that lasts. Amen? Amen? You know, back when Pastor Quentin was a youth pastor at Sea Love, um, we, we had a saying on the wall, or it was on the whiteboard, and it said that our job is to help people become all that God has destined them to be. Our job is to help people become all that God has destined them to be. And I still use that all the time. I tell people, man, I want to help you become all that God has destined you to be. But can you think about that phrase for a second? Think about what God has destined you to be. 
Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a dream that God has put in your heart. Maybe you say, I just want to become the father that God has called me to be. Is that, man, I want to become the mother that God has called me to be. Is that, man, I want to go in my high school and I want to turn it upside down and be the person in there that God has called me to be. What a powerful statement, amen? See, but the truth is, is that we hear that statement and we think of the end result. Man, we think of the end product and we get, we, we get captivated by it. But we always forget that there's a journey to get there. Is that there's a journey to get there. And if I can be honest with you, is that the journey is never easy. See, because there's always a messy side of destiny. There's always a messy side of destiny. You know, I remember back when I was 22, I was trying to impress a girl named Rebecca Kaplan. I had the hots for Rebecca Kaplan. And so I was trying to prove to her how much of a man I was because she really liked guys who can grow a beard and this is pretty much all I can grow. Right. And so and so I figured, man, I, I need to figure out something. And so at the time, like cage fighting, MMA was really, really big. And so I was like, I'm going to go join an MMA gym. Jesus, help me. And so I remember I went and I joined this MMA gym. It's called Teen Rock. Um, and this is where the special forces train. Um, this is where some Delta Force guys come and train. So these guys are bad. You, you know, like, you, these aren't just lighthearted guys here. And so I walk in. I'm so intimidated. I, I, I joined the gym and I walk in. And I see guys, man, they're kicking pads, you know, like so loud that you can't even hear people talk in the gym. I'm like, okay, what, what did I do? But there's something in my mind that says, man, I could, I could do that. I, I, I could do that. I remember before I even went to the gym, I said, you know what? In a year, I'm going to have my first MMA fight. I saw the end product, right? But I wasn't thinking about the journey. And so I believe I, I, I was a month in. And at the end of every session, is that we always spar. And so I look across the room, and I see Jesse. His name is Jesse Herzog. And now Jesse is an amateur fighter who's never lost a fight. He is like, he's, he's 8-0. He is the title belt. And I look at Jesse and I go, Jesse, I want to spar you. And, and, and so Jesse comes over. Man, um, we hit the clock and we go. We're kind of fighting. You know, we're, we're, we're going. I remember I, I landed a really good two on Jesse. And I was feeling really good about myself. Like, eat it, Jesse. And Jesse goes... And he looks at me, and he kind of does this motion, and I get captivated. Like, what is he doing? You know, you know, it's like the Karate Kid. Then he, then he ducks, and he lands a super hard two on me. And I'm probably about from here to the wall, and I go flying back, and I hit the wall. Now, on the wall, there, there is padding that's Velcroed on the wall. So I fly up, I grab the top, and I fall down, and I literally rip the wall off. And the whole gym just looks at me. I saw the end product, man, but I didn't realize the journey that it would take to get there. Needless to say, it took me a few weeks to come back after that. Relive that embarrassment. See, but here's the thing, though, is that destiny isn't pretty, man. It's, It's not pretty. It's full of sacrifice. It's full of pain. It's full of hurt. It's full of disappointments at times. But destiny isn't for quitters. You see, when becoming the person that God has called you to be, have you counted the cost that you may lose some friends or that you may lose social status at work for standing up for Jesus? 
See, have you counted the cost, man, man, that when Jesus knocks on my heart and he tells me to surrender this or that, then I'm going to have to give it up in order to become the person that God has called me to be. Have you counted the cost? See, I, I, I love uh, the portion of Scripture that Pastor Quentin mentioned in Mark 4 with, with the siege. Because when you read that story, you found out, man, 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 that people quit. They quit on the DNA that God put on the inside of them all because of opposition. Or, I mean, all because of temptation came along and it robbed them of their destiny. Is that they quit. You see, if you... Having a decided heart is not for quitters. Becoming all that God has destined you to be is not for quitters. Amen? And, and lastly here, um, I just want to read you guys a portion of Scripture that I believe um, is a group of people who had a decided heart. So that's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. It says this, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith. Or you could say the stories of the men and women who had a decided heart of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouth of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved, back, loved ones back again from death. But others, listen to this, but others, you've got to count the cost, were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawn in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing sheepskins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. Some might say, count the cost. I love this part. They were too good for this world. They were too good for this world. You know, another version says that these were the ones who the world was not worthy of. See, and I don't know about you, but I want to be in that part of Scripture. Is that I want to be too good for this world. Is that I want to say, Jesus, come hell or high water, you put this on the inside of me, and no matter what comes, God, I'm going to go through with it. God, I don't care what it takes, God. This is what you told me. This is what you said to me. This is who you called me to be. And I'm not giving up on it, God. Amen. So the second one we're going to talk about today, PQ. I never heard that story about me getting punched in the face. I wish I could have seen that. I'd have paid for that. <laughs> hey, listen, let me add something to, add something to that. Uh, you know, last week we were talking about being a person of action. And our third point was this, is that a person of action, uh, they have a cause. Anybody remember that? Have a cause. There, there's, a, there's a saying there that, uh, I don't know, probably since I was maybe 21 years old, that stuck with me about a cause. And kind of piggyback on counting the, counting the cost there. It's this, it's this, that if your cause hasn't cost you something, then it's not a cause. That if your cause hasn't cost you something, then it's not a cause. Amen? Write that down. All right. Second thing. A person with a decided heart knows how to. Number two, they know how to please God and not man. How to please God and not man. It's really this, and, and this is pretty simple. Uh, you and I will always, always, always have to battle the opinions of others. 
See, there's something that's put inside of us by God that because we're wired for relationships, we're wired to be accepted, we're wired to be loved, not only by God, but also by people. Right. Then what happens is that sometimes when we're not when um, when we're not really connected to God, the best that we can be, what happens is people come and they start whispering our ears, telling us what we think. They think we should do and we should do that or not do this, not do that. It's really easy to waver in those moments. And so, listen, we've got to be people. We're going to have a decided heart that we don't base ourselves on the opinions of others. Because, once again, we already know that we are accepted and loved by God himself. And if we're accepted by love, love of God by himself or by God, then we don't have to run into all that other mess. Here's a verse that I want to share with you that kind of keeps me grounded in this area. This is Galatians 1.10. It's how the NIV Bible says this. It says, am I now trying to win the approval of man or of God? Feel the burn. Am I now trying to win the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please people? And this last part has been a punch in the face for a lot of years. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. What a verse. Teenagers, listen to that one, please. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. How often do we alter who we are, who we've been destined to be by God? We alter that so we can get the approval of people. You you know, I said this Wednesday night, um, and I'm going to say it again to the teenagers that weren't here the other day. It's this simple fact that, that when you're running around school tomorrow and there's those people that you're trying to get approval from, or maybe you guys, um, I'll just stay there for a second, that when you graduate high school in a few years, more than likely you're never going to see those people again. So don't, listen, so don't waste an opportunity in the greatest mission, mission field in the nation. Don't waste your opportunity there. Grab a hold of Jesus. He's a friend that sits closer than a brother. If you got his approval, I'd rather go out uh, making a mark than, than just trying to fit in. Amen? Amen. Swim against the grain. All right. Here we go. So listen, let me tell you two things in the camps going to come. If we worry about what other people think of us, then we will end up having more confidence in their opinion than we have in God's opinion. If we get caught up in what people think of us, we'll end up having more confidence in their opinion than we have in God's opinion. Last thing and then Cam's going to come. A committed person understands their future doesn't depend on the opinions or the permission of others. You get that, that our future, our destiny in God doesn't depend on the opinions or the permission of others. So our first point today was this, is that a person with a side of heart knows how to count the cost. Second was they know how to please God and not man. And the third one is this, is they know how to be a doer of the word. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, turn to your Bibles to James 1, verse 19. I want to say this right off the jump, is the evidence... That you have counted the cost and that you want to please God over man, that you honor God above the opinions of man, is a life of obedience. I'm going to say it again. The evidence that you have counted the cost and that you honor God above man is that is, is in a life of obedience. Look what James says. In verse 19, I'm reading now the Amplified Bible. It says, understand this, my beloved brethren, let every man be quick to hear, a ready listener, slow to speak, slow to take offense and to get angry. You know what you can put in your Bible beside that? Put teachable beside that. That's what that speaks to, teachable. 
For man's anger does not promote the righteousness God wishes and requires. So get rid of all uncleanness and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness. And in a humble spirit, receive and welcome the word, which implanted and root in your hearts contains the power to save your souls. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word. Obey the message and not merely listeners to it. Betraying yourselves into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it and being a doer of it, he's like a man who looks carefully in his own natural face in a mirror. For he, for he thoughtfully observes himself and then goes off and promptly forgets what he was like. And then verse 25, but he who looks carefully into the faultless law, into the word of God, the law of liberty, and is faithful to it and perseveres in looking into it, being not a heedless listener who forgets. That word forget actually means neglects the word. But an active doer who obeys, he shall be blessed in his doing his life of obedience. You know, it's really interesting. I really tried to just jump to verse 22 because I knew what my point was. But I kept going back to verse 19. And I was like, Lord, why is that scripture there? Let's read it again. Verse 19 says, understand this, my beloved brother. Let every man be quick to hear, a ready listener, slow to speak, slow to take offense and to get angry. What does that have to do with being a doer of the word? What does that have to do with the word of God being implanted in our hearts? Is this is they were getting offended at the word of God. They were becoming offended at the word of God that was being shared with them, with the messages that were being shared with them. And this isn't new in Scripture, because if you go back to the ministry of Jesus and especially to the Old Testament prophets, then you will find that people became offended at the word of God. You know, if you look in the Old Testament, they stoned and imprisoned the prophets, not because they were bad people, you know, not because they did anything wrong, but because they were offended at the word of God in those guys' mouths. And so why do, why did they and why do we become offended at the word of God? You know, because I, I started thinking about this, and this man, he's been here for about a year as y'all's pastor, and, and I really believe this, is that God has sent him here for you. And, you know, when God sends somebody here for you, then they have something to offer to you. And, you know, as he's sharing the word of God, it may not sound exactly the way, you know, it will challenge you. God has sent him here to challenge you. God has sent him here, yes, to encourage you and to, to, to share the love of God with you. But he's also sent him here to challenge you. And the reason you get offended at the word of God or people get offended at the word of God is because it interferes, one, with their lifestyle. It interferes with their lifestyle. Two, is they, they become offended at the word of God because it, it, it's, it interferes with their doctrine or what they've been taught or what they're used to. And, and then also they become offended at the word of God because it gets in their business. It gets into their sinful lifestyles. 
So in order to be doers of the word of God, we have to come with meek spirits, with humble hearts and receive the word of God. Listen to this. It's not good enough to be just a hearer. Hearing is good. But, you know, if he shares a message or somebody comes and they share a message here in this church, you know, you might go up to him after the service and you say, you know what, Pastor Quentin, that message really blessed me. That message really blessed me. And, and that's great. And pastor wants that. And, and people who speak want that. They want you to encourage him. But I want to tell you when that message is going to bless you. Look at verse 25 again. It says, it says this, but he who looks carefully in the faultless law, the law of liberty, and is faithful to it and perseveres in it, being not a heedless listener who forgets, but an active doer, he shall be blessed in his doing. You know when that message blesses you? You know when that message becomes a blessing in your life? is when you apply it to your life. You know, that message, uh, yes, it's a blessing to hear it. But listen, that message becomes a blessing to you personally when you apply it to your life. When, you, when, you, when it leaves here, you know, when you take it home with you, when you take it to Walmart with you, when you take it to your job with you, that's when that message becomes a blessing in your life. And so we can't become, you know, offended at the Word of God. You know, one of the other things that the Lord really spoke to me about is one of the reasons we become offended at the Word of God is because we want to live comfortable lifestyles. We like to stay the same. You know, we like things uh, that we're used to, you know, and that we're comfortable in. Like like he spoke to in Luke 9. You know, we like to, to our routines and, and to have our security and our, our paycheck coming in. But what if God shakes that up a little bit? What if God, you know, in this city, in this town, in this church, what if God calls you to, to step out of that comfort zone and to be more and to change, to allow that word to take root in your heart and to change you? And so I want to challenge you, you know, as a congregation, as a people, you know, don't be offended at the word of God. You know, let that word come in and change your life and be a doer. Apply that word to your life. You know, don't be afraid to take that word with you and, and live it out in your families, in your homes. When you come here, come with a teachable spirit. Come with a humble, meek spirit and receive that word that's going to change not only your life, but your families and your communities. And I pastor wants me to read a scripture out of Hebrews. Mama, I have been sick all week, and my mouth is really drying out right now. I don't know if there's a, a bottle of water here. Oh, drinking after Noah, that is scary. <laughs> what, is that, what is that floating in there? <laughs> I don't know. Let's look at Hebrews 10.39, because this really speaks to what we've all been talking about. Hebrews 10, 39, 38 and 39. I have the Amplified, so I don't know if you all are familiar with that version. It just kind of amplifies things out. But the just shall live by faith. I'm going to skip some of this definition. And it says, the just shall live by faith. My righteous servant shall live by his conviction, respect a man's relationship to God and divine things.
It says, and if he draws back, you know, remember the plow, right? Remember the plow. It says, if he draws back and shrinks in fear, my soul has no delight or pleasure in him. That's strong words. He says, but our way is not that of those who draw back. That's not who we are. We're not of those who draw back. We're of those who go for it. We're going for it with the kingdom of God. We're not of those who draw back to misery. You know, there's no more miserable life than a Christian who draws back. You know, that's worse than a sinner. It's a Christian who draws back. You know, there's, there's divine things that are implanted on the inside of you. You know, that God has called you to. You know, every, the Bible says everything, Peter says this in the Message Bible, it says everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been divinely planted on the inside of you. And you know, when you don't heed to those things and you want to live comfortably, you know, that's, that's a miserable, miserable life. You know, that's a miserable life. You know, if, if really, if you want the best that God has for your life, it's going to come with effort. It's going to come with hard work. It's going to come with sacrifice. It's going to, it's going to cost you something. And so, you know, don't, don't try to live the easy life. Don't draw back. Don't try to live the comfortable life. You know, go after God with all your heart. You know, seek God's will with all your heart. You know, that's, that's, that's a satisfying life. You know, the things in this life that satisfy the most are the things that cost us something. You know, the relationships in our lives that are the most rewarding and most satisfying, they cost us something. They cost us time and energy and love and going through things with people. You know, the accomplishments in our lives that mean something to us, that are rewarding, those things cost us something. Don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone. Don't be afraid to live a life of zeal and a passion for God. But listen, this is what it says. It says, don't draw back because that's not who we are. Our way is not of those who draw back to misery and are utterly destroyed. But we, we are of those who believe, who cleave to and trust in and rely on God through Jesus Christ and by faith preserve our souls. So listen, hang on to that, you know, and listen, just go after God with everything you got. There's, there's no other, listen. There's no other way to go after God. It's just like, you know, I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people just kind of half-heartedly try to pursue the Lord. Go after God with everything you've got. That's the only way that it's going to be rewarding and you're going to sense God's presence in your life. That's the only way. All right, I'm done. Good stuff. So listen, number one, count the cost. Number two, please God and not man. Number three, be a doer of the word. Number four is a little different, but it's this. We'll wrap it up. It's number four is you got to burn the boats. You got to burn the boats. Stand to your feet with me today. Burn the boats. Burn the boats. I'm going to read something to you. I'm just helping you stretch your legs. We're going a little longer than we had planned on it. But, you know, if you get three preachers in the room, it happens, right? All right, here we go. 
Oh, it's going. Here we go. What does that mean? Somebody say burn the boats. Let me read something to you. It says in 1519, an extraordinary man set sail on the final leg of a voyage from the shores of Cuba to the Yucatan Peninsula. It says on 11 ships, 500 soldiers, 100 sailors, and 16 horses. It says the mission was clear to take the world's richest treasure. It was a treasure of gold, silver, artifacts, and jewels. It had been held by the same army for 600 years. You get that? That's the greatest treasure ever. 600 years, the same army basically uh, had it in their own possession. It says this treasure was no secret. It says the world knew about this treasure because many after, sorry, Jesus is talking to me and I'm trying to read here at the same time. This isn't working. Here we go. Let me focus here. <laughs> this I'm about to tell you what he's saying. Here we go. So it had been held by the same army for 600 years. The treasure was not a secret. The world knew about this treasure because army after army had tried to take it. Conqueror after conqueror had come with their forces to take this treasure. But nobody had been able to do it. Not for 600 years. Hernando Cortez. Cortez was aware of the many conquerors who attempted to claim this treasure and failed. But his approach was different. He gathered an army committed beyond the level of a common man. Rather than signing up every recruit that applied, like Jesus, Cortez interviewed first. He first talked to them about the treasure, what their lives would be like when they took the treasure, and what their families and their future generations' lives would be like when they took the treasure. He even fantasized about what it would be like the moment they put their hands on the treasure. He sold the people on the vision. They committed and set sail. It says halfway through the voyage, Cortez had a problem. Many of the soldiers and sailors who were once so certain turned into whiners. Mr. Cortez, we're not sure we should be on this ship at this time. Or this isn't what we expected it to be. It says when they arrived at the Yucatan Peninsula, Cortez gathered everyone on the beach. They grew quiet, waiting for Cortez to say, you go here, we'll go there. If the arrows start flying... Meet me at this coconut stump, and we're out of here. Instead, he leaned in and said, burn the boats. Somebody say, burn the boats. boats. Excuse me, they replied. Cortez repeated, burn the boats. Torch the boats. If we go home, he added, we're going home in their boats. Says, And on their leader's orders, they burned their own boats. An amazing thing happened. They fought really well. For the first time in 600 years, get that, for the first time in 600 years, the treasure was taken. Why? Because their choice was to take the treasure or die. Here's what Jesus is telling me. He is the greatest treasure. Y'all with me? And there comes a time in your life that you've got to say this, we're either going to take the treasure or we're going to die trying. To get that, that sits there and says, and for 600 years, I want you to know this state's been here a long time, waiting for somebody to take the treasure. If you don't mind, just close your eyes. Come on, Holy Ghost. He just walked in the building, finally. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you what your boat is today. But there's things that's been keeping you in your life from getting that treasure. 
And really, what is a boat? A boat is simply this. It's no different than the, the Israelites with Egypt, where they said this, if it gets tough, I know I can run back to that. I'm going to be obedient here. Some of us run back to alcohol in this room. That's a boat that's got to go. Some of us in this room to pornography, got to go. Some of us run back and hide in that cave called insecurities, it's got to go. Some of you revert back to the boat of anger, the boat of depression, the boat of self-pity. Listen, there's a whole list of boats, and in fact, you brought the boat with you today and you didn't even know it, but it's in hull. Today, we need to burn the boat. Because there's a treasure awaiting to be found, waiting to be captured. Amen. Kim, can you come and play? Some of your boat's been a marriage that didn't work. It's a divorce. You need to burn it. It's time to move on. It's disappointments. We all got them. Whatever it is, it's time to get on that shore, turn around, grab the torch and burn it. Because it's time to go get a treasure. So, Father, we come before you today in the name of Jesus. God, we don't want to be a people that draw back. God, in fact, we grab a hold of that word that says in Hebrews, God, that we're not. We are not. We are not. We are not the group of people that turn back. But, God, we press forward to the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. So, God, the boat of failure, we burn it today. In fact, come on, people, in your own words, in your own, with your hands lifted, your heart lifted, however you want to do it, this is your altar moment. Whatever boat that needs to be burned, whatever it costs that you need to count in this moment, whatever you need to change to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, whatever it is there, that boat of pleasing people, whatever it is in this moment, we've got to torch it. And this isn't just for adults, it's for teenagers and kids too. What's the thing that's holding you back? What's the thing that's causing you from literally saying, God, I'm all in? What's the thing that, what's that one thing, that second thing, that third thing that's keeping you from just going all in with Him? Come on, if you can, just block out everybody around you. Just begin to do business with God. Come on, you begin to tell God about the boat. He already knows what it is. And ask the Holy Ghost, because the Bible says our God is a consuming fire. He'll help you burn that boat. Come on, it's a position of surrender. It's a position of obedience. talking about anything that keeps you from being in agreement with them. Anything that keeps you from being in agreement with Him today. God, burn it, Jesus. Burn it. Burn it. Burn it. We'll say, we say, God, we'll say, we may say, God, give me a decided heart. Say it again. Say, Father, I ask you today in the name of Jesus to give me 
a decided heart. Holy Ghost, I ask you to burn the boats of my life now in Jesus' name. might sound a little strange, but that's what I keep thinking about. You, you know when you know when you uh, take a steak, and I'm not, you know I'm not much of a steak eater, but unless it's cooked really well. But you know they they throw it on that on that pan and they sear it, right? And the reason they sear it is so you're not eating a brick later. It, it contains all the juices and all the flavor inside. Am I right? Right. That's what happens when the fire of God comes. That he wants to burn out what's not of him and he wants to burn of what is him in you. So Lord, we're just asking today in Jesus' name that you would come sear, brand our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we ask today that what is of you, what is from heaven, God, we ask that you would burn it in us. And Lord, we pray, God, that it would, um, that it would really sink deep. God, that it would sink deep. God, that it would sink deep. God, we don't want to be people who live in the shallows. God, we want to be people who know how to draw from the well. So, Lord, we're asking, God, that you would drill that well deep in us today in Jesus' name. Father, we ask today that you would help us to count the cost, that you would help us to fear you more than we fear people. God, we ask today that you would help us be doers of the word. And, God, that you would help us to burn the boats, God, that you would literally uh, help us not to run to things, God, that are not of you. Help us to run to you and with you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Put your hands together and grab you a seat. Hallelujah.